0: Sometimes the evil one wants to keep us from worshiping and rejoicing in our great God, but we're not going to let him do that. Hartson would have astutely realized that it says in the bulletin for our order of worship, we have a meditation. And as we look at this meditation, I have also called an audible So don't worry about going to the insert that is there to make use of for our study. Today we have the privilege of focusing around the Lord's table. And we recognize it's by grace alone. And when we gather around the Lord's table, we also realize how deep the Father's love for us, so vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son, to make a wretch his treasure. So, in between singing about this grace alone and recognizing the supreme sacrifice that the Father has made, as we prepare our hearts to gather around the table of the Lord, I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Without a doubt, for all Bible-believing Christians, we understand grace is a principle. It's the principle in which God deals with us, his children. We can define it as an uncaused or unmerited favor. And it is the recognition that God has determined never to hold our sins and our transgressions against us. David speaks of that glorious truth recorded for us in the book of Romans where Paul was talking about by grace alone through faith how God deals with his children using the example of Abraham and then of David. And he says there what David found out, how blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose lawless deeds God will not take into account. We're familiar with the great passage in the book of Ephesians where Paul makes it very clear it's not on the basis of our works, on our merit, or anything about us that necessitated God to do something for us. For by grace we are saved through faith. And it's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. And it is certainly not of works, lest anyone should boast by grace alone. What a glorious principle. What a wonderful reality for God's people. But what so many fail to realize is that grace is not only a principle, but it's a power. It is a transforming power of God at work within his people. Paul asked the Christian community in Rome a very important question. Because they were trying to come to grips with how is it we can be sure that God's children, while not yet perfect, will not walk in the way that is pleasing to the Lord if they're not under some kind of external code to keep them in check. And so the question he asked in Romans 6 is, well, shall we continue in sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Do you know what Paul's answer was? Meganoita. What a revulsive thought. What an idea that is totally contrary to the work of grace. Because grace does in God's people what no external law can ever do. We stand by grace, we're accepted before God through the work of Jesus Christ on His grace. And in our daily lives, grace is effectual to conform us more and more to the image of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we have the commemoration of that work of grace when we, in humble obedience, do what the Lord told us to do. And that is, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. When Paul spoke of this reality, speaking about the Lord's table, notice he said in verse 17, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions that exist among you, and in part I believe it. There must be factions among you in order that those who are approved may become evident to all. How do we handle our differences? God's people handle them differently from religious people, God's people handle them differently, certainly from the non believer. And he made it very clear in chapters one and two of this epistle. That if I'm fragmenting the body of Christ, I'm not operating under God's wisdom, but under the wisdom of man. And therefore, I need to be corrected. So here's the church in Corinth coming together around the Lord's table. And what we are saying in the Lord's table is the fact that we are one in the body of Christ. And the idea of preserving the unity of faith is so important to God that he makes it very clear here that he was disciplining individuals in the church in Corinth for their failure to recognize appropriately their oneness with one another in the body of Christ now individuals have taken this passage to talk about we need to think about our personal sins and make sure our hearts pure and clear before the Lord before we participate in the body of uh, in the partaking of the elements Of the Lord's table. And I don't want to dismiss or minimize that importance. But what this passage is really teaching is are you at one with your brothers in Christ? Because if you're not, you're not appropriately assessing the body, you are being hypocritical you are acting as if I am manifesting in my practice the reality of what Christ has accomplished for us. And you know what that is? He has torn down everything that separates us as human beings. Every prejudice, every bias, every racial difference, every generational gap, we are all one in Christ. And when we partake of the elements associated with the body of Christ, there's one loaf that was broken. It was one body that was given. And it demonstrates to all of us we're part of that one body. And the cup we drink from. If I'm acceptable to God, guess what? It's the same way you're acceptable to God. And it isn't based on any merit in me any more than it's based on any merit in you. By grace alone, it is a recognition that Jesus Christ gave himself on behalf of his sheep, his children. And so notice what Paul says. He says, verse 23, I received from the Lord, which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took the bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, the cup also. After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But notice in verse 27, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So what does Paul mean to partake in an unworthy manner? Well, let each man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body correctly. Now, he isn't saying, if you have the wrong view of the Lord's table, God isn't pleased with you. So if you believe in transubstantiation, don't partake of it. If you believe in consubstantiation, don't partake of it. That's not what he's saying. People have ideas as to whether something spiritually is happening with the elements or it is a memorial for us. But the body he's talking about that is so important for us to remember is the body of Christ, his spiritual body, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he says, if I'm not properly relating to the body of Christ when I partake of the Lord's table, I'm of the same guilt as was true of the Corinthians where Paul said, I don't praise you because when you come together, it's showing clicks and divisions instead of oneness. And how serious does God take it? Notice verse 30. For this reason, many among you are weak and are sick, and some, a number, sleep. He's not talking about, well, they fell asleep in the message, but he's talking about the fact that they have been taken in divine chastening in death. Unity is important for our God and for his people. Even in the Old Testament, he made that very clear. Remember the teachings of Jesus? When he looked at the system that God had established for how they were to worship, he said, well, if you are bringing your offering to the temple and on your way, you remember something about an offense with a brother, what are you supposed to do? Anybody remember? Don't go. He didn't say, oh, we'll just go ahead and offer it, take care of that later. Amen. Go first, be reconciled to your brother, and then bring your offering. In other words, God's people need to recognize we are to do everything within our power to preserve the unity of the faith. Because when we partake of one bread and we partake of one cup, what we are saying is we are at one with the members of the body of Christ. doesn't mean we won't have times of difficulty. doesn't mean sometimes things happen and they're not reconcilable. But what it does mean is the onus is on me. If there's an issue to do everything I can to make it right. Because when I partake of the Lord's table, I'm saying with a clear conscience, I don't know of anything within me that has me at odds with a brother or a sister in Christ. Because as we partake of the Lord's table, this memorial God's given is to show what? To proclaim the Lord's death until he comes the Lord's death, till he comes. And so we are looking at the fact that the only reason we gather together and are given a name Christian is because the one who knew no sin became sin for us. You didn't need his blood to cleanse you any more than I did or I more than you. You were dead in your sin and so was I. And as history is to unfold, God makes it very clear when he says, who can take the scroll and break its seal so that God will faithfully fulfill what yet remains in human history to establish the promised kingdom that a search was made in heaven, no one was worthy. A search was made under the earth, no one was worthy. A search was made on earth and no one was worthy. And John the Apostle said, I wept greatly. I recognized we don't have a single human being who is considered worthy for God to complete and finish his promise program. And then one said to John, stop weeping. For the lamb, the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome and therefore he is worthy to take the scroll, to break its seal and to accomplish God's redemptive work. Sin had left that crimson stain on every one of us, his children, but Jesus washed it white as snow. And when we gather around the Lord's table, we are gathering with thanksgiving that although we are unworthy and undeserving, from before the foundation of the world, God in his grace and in his love set us apart to make us members of his body with one another to the praise and the honor and glory of Jesus Christ how deep that father's love for us. And so after we sing our hymn and we participate in this memorial that he has given to his children to remember him, may we reflect upon the fact it's by grace alone, only of grace, always of grace, and it will bring honor and glory to the only one who is worthy, even Jesus Christ, Our Lord. So let's partake of His supper, His table, after we sing our hymn, How Deep the Father's Love, with genuine thanksgiving, with genuine praise, with genuine gratitude to God for what He has done for us, His children.